Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Snapshot, episode 48. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by Marvel Snap Phenom, KM Best. KM, your week in Marvel Snap, sir. Uh, pretty relaxing. I've enjoyed Annihilus a lot. Like, I am uh, a little bit surprised. I, I feel like it's a card that I'm higher on than most other people are, where I'm just, like, playing these small Annihilus packages and not really investing very heavily. I think it's a little bit of a supporting player. Like, it's not... Oh my god, Annihilus just came out. It's the best card ever. You have to get it. I don't think he's that, but as far as useful supporting players in decks I think could legitimately be good, uh, Annihilus has been great for me in Darkhawk Shells. He's been great for me in Bounce Shells. Uh, extremely successful with both of those in the Annihilus context recently. And that's most of what I've been playing because he's a really just I just like him. I like playing Marvel Snap the way he plays Marvel Snap. It's it's very, very interesting. I do think that, you know, over investing in him is a great way to lose. But if you just put the right amount of Annihilus stuff in a deck, it's a very powerful thing to be doing. I think it is really, really strong. And that's a solid place to be. It really is. Now, you do end up with some awkward low key matchups, but it's not that bad all the time. Each game has to be taken as it as a sort of different thing. You have a Black Widow to maybe stop them from drawing Loki on time. Maybe you can disrupt them enough with your rocks and whatnot. Uh, out of really either a Nihilist shell, there's going to be some other disruption in there, I think, at this point, because you're not playing it on its own as a junk card. You're playing it as a supplementary piece to a strategy that probably already has disruption in it. So overall, my weekend Marvel Snap been filled with a lot of giving my opponents voids is how I would describe it. Yeah, and I guess it's a good time to mention that this one is definitely a scoreboard for you because this was a card that you called back in the season preview. And I was definitely down on it and you were me like, nope, put it in this package. We're doing these kind of these kind of things, tossing things over to the corner. And yeah, I mean, I think you were more right. In I was definitely down on this card. This card looked very unimpressive initially to me. I think that I needed more context because it's a context-based card and like what sort of shell it fit into was... And these junk decks are really... I don't think I've ever played one in my entire life before Annihilus come out, came out. But uh, you definitely did nail this one, I think. Um, what do you think about the changes to the metagame with Annihilus? Do you find Annihilus to be a fun and engaging card, um, or is it uh, a little bit annoying sometimes? The thing with Annihilus is the mirror matches are so damn bad. Like, when I'm playing this card, the number one thing I don't want to see is my opponent playing the hood, because it's like, oh god, you're playing this card too. <laughs> like, it's... It's so bad having to deal with like how the Annihilus mirror plays out or even like pseudo mirrors. They'd be two totally different Annihilus decks. The only thing that keeps me going is knowing that they're probably thinking the same thing. I just like, oh, my God, it's another Annihilus guy. They have to deal with my Annihilus. It's the only thing that keeps me going. Like, it's not objectively bad. Like mirrors are usually kind of annoying for both players. It's just like. You always feel like it's worse for you than it is for them because you're you and you don't see the ways in which it's bad for them as well because you don't see their hand and all that. Mm. But yeah, it, it's one of it's one of those things where it's like if I see my opponent play the hood, there's like a little mental sigh a little bit. That's funny. That's an interesting uh, dynamic that happens in card games. I know it happens with the mirror, right? Where you are aware of your opponent's sort of nut draws, their outs, and then you see that mm -hmm. curve 
uh, unfold in front of you and you're like, oh my yes. God, what if I could draw like this? I will say that I've, I've faced this dynamic more actually playing against other decks that are not my deck, particularly when I play any sort of like slow based control deck or combo deck in a game. And I play against an aggro player and I'm just like, dude, this deck just, it does the thing every single time. And it's so easy. <laughs> it's so straightforward. How do they always <laughs> one, two, three, four me? <laughs> and then I play the aggro deck and I'm like, wow, it's turn six. I have one card in hand. My board is white. Like this is a terrible experience. <laughs> I just, I don't. Now, see, that's the thing about aggro decks that I really liked is that like one of the things and I miss this in Snap. Legitimately, I do. Like, because one of the things that that the retreat button does is make it very often wrong to be like, all right, I'm asking, do you have it? I'm playing, do you have it? Right. And because Snap has such small deck sizes, they very often do have it. You're very incentivized to retreat in those do you have it situations, unless you have a very specific reason to believe that they're not going to have it. And I think that like part of the card, part of card games that I love the most is that living on the edge element of the do you have it? And it's why I liked aggro in other games so much. And I do think that like forcing myself to be smart and retreat those spots does like, where's the octane? I need mm. I need that high octane. Do you have it? I, I need to play high octane coin flips. That's what I that's what I want. It's funny because uh, the reason why I archetypically stray away from aggro is actually just the avoidance of a bad feeling. Because when I when I play aggro and I lose to control or some sort of mid range deck, I, it genuinely feels terrible. Like you're low on cards in hand, your board is like you just don't have a lot of outs, right? Um, and I I think that's like the worst card gaming experience. And I remember I had like this this sort of animosity towards control players when I first started playing uh, card game because I was like, who would play that deck? This deck sucks. It just locks me. Out out this is a terrible deck these people are evil and then i realized that i was actually secretly a control player and i think that you, no. sometimes you get you get run, ran over by aggro but you can just toss it up you're like mm, it happens but uh that long drawn out loss that happens when you play an aggro deck into a control deck and you start losing it's just it's terrible man it's terrible. so i think that part of the reason that like players who are pretty good tend to gravitate towards control decks is they get to feel like they're in every game yeah which is and a fallacy, right? <laughs> I, yeah, it's a fallacy. And I think players like feeling like they're in every game more than they like winning in an objective sense. They like feeling like they have a chance more than they like, you know, punting a matchup and just being like, well, if I run into it, I lose, but I beat everything else, right? And sometimes, depending on what the percentages actually are, that can be the absolutely correct decision to make, but you don't want to make it because then you'll feel like it's such an idiot if you run into that thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I faced this, this dynamic at the second Flush of Blood Pro Tour where the best deck by far was an aggro deck. And um, it was a specific aggro, not, not the archetype of aggro. And of course, if you play that deck, you're going to face the mirrors. And it's like, do I take the deck that's sort of like 20% worse and try to target this deck and try to get... Yeah, uh, so like at that kind of percentage, it's like, no, you just take, you the, just deck. take the deck. And I did. And yeah. I'll tell you, I was miserable because I played those mirrors and I <laughs> felt like I was spectating my own games. They were just unfolding in front of me and I simply was a spectator and I got to slowly realize that I had flown across the world, paid all this money, and now I was sitting there watching myself get dunked. And I'm just like, Ugh. Yeah, I'm see, that's actually the thing that people hate, right? Like, it's the context around it, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I only have so many games. I want to feel like I'm in all of them. And that can apply whether you're at, like, a big tournament or I think this is where it happens in Marvel Snap the most, like, you're right about to hit infinite yep. and you start playing insanely safe, right? Yes, yes. And I I, I remember back when there was, there was a time period back when my infinite climb was pretty hard in like the early seasons. And I remember one of my, my, 
my sort of thoughts or f- philosophies when I got when I got close to it is like I know my win rate is like sixty five or sixty percent. It was like it was high. It was a good win rate. I can't but, blow this. I can't blow it. So I just never snap. <laughs> if I don't snap, yeah, see, that's I'll a get fallacy. There. Like that's a fallacy. Just play right. Like it's like that's that's what I really wanted to drive at with this. It's like there's this there's this. People talk about tilt only in the sense of like, oh, you're getting angry, so you're playing aggressive and you're like making mistakes. But tilt is also playing too passive because you're afraid to lose what you have. And I think that that is a worthwhile uh, thing to examine. That's also a leak. It's the same. It's just the opposite side of that coin. Yeah. And I will say in retrospect, I mean, that was definitely a new like sort of a noob thing to fall into right no Um, i do it too i do it too for sure well what i mean to say is that i have now come to the come to the realization i think that Mm. that was objectively incorrect to do although it was at one point my strategy for climbing because i would hit that 99 and the concept of losing an eight cuber which could have been five hours like it could have been you know four or five hours of grinding sometimes because you know you're going up and down it was terrifying to me <laughs> like i was just like i if i lose two three of those i'm gonna have to go on like a, a retreat or something like this is this would be bad. <laughs> i can't do that you click the retreat button and you're instantly transported to like getting yoga and hot massages it's exactly. just like I'm, I'm gone i'm out of here i couldn't handle it all right in other news um we got an update from second tenor they said it's the end of the end of the year holiday season and there will be slight changes to the timing of may of uh, major patches and ota balances until in the new year as announced by second dinner on marvel snap discord read, read off basically there's a patch on 12.5 and a patch on 1.9 and that's it no otas or anything like that from what i understand um any thoughts on this cam seems pretty dumb to me yeah uh i i feel like right now the game is more in need of balanced attention than anything else that said you know yeah, they probably should give their people time off. It's it's good that a company is doing that, and I'm not going to get mad about it. But I just think that like right now at this specific time, even one OTA could be pretty helpful. Like, I don't know. I I am at the point where I feel like if they don't fix Loki in the twelve five patch, it gets to this point where it's just like, okay, are we seriously doing this for another month? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. We're actually doing it for more than another month. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. I just feel like they really should fix loki and if they do that in the patch on the fifth i believe (laughs) then i won't really have any complaints but if they don't it becomes one of these situations where uh, the metagame just stagnates a little bit for another month and i don't think the metagame is a bad metagame right now i just think that like there are a lot of decks people don't like that are good and a lot of the root causes of that are Loki. And I think I, I, this is one of the dynamics that I've been thinking about a lot recently is like, OK, how do you beat Loki? You beat Loki with these early ramping up strategies, right? Like so cards that Loki gets are not good for them. Uh, an example would be the Dark Hawk werewolf thing, right? Your werewolf as the Dark Hawk player comes down very, very early. Your Dark Hawk has multiple Korgs going into it. It's going to be bigger than the stuff they get. Your werewolf coming down early is going to be bigger than the stuff they get. And that is sort of the premise of how you beat Loki. But it's like, okay, so you're relying on these asymmetrical scaling early threats. You know what's really good against those asymmetrical scaling early threats is Professor X Eliath stuff. And so, like, in a way, that all comes back to Loki's being Loki's fault again. Because the way Loki forces you to deck build means that you are now more vulnerable to this Prof X Eliath scam. 
And so it's like, that's really annoying. <laughs> that is, that's a really annoying dynamic because Loki is not only, you know, keeping a lot of fun stuff out of the meta, shout out to Thanos, but also creating these Profex Alioth scam decks that are basically just Thanosless Thanos, like Thanos without the fun and putting them in a better position to succeed because they're good against those early scaling threats that you need to play in order to have a reasonable game plan into Loki. Mm. I also think that Marvel Snap at this point is somewhat predicated on its dynamic and influx metagame, right? Which is somewhat facilitated through OTAs and patches, at least in theory, yeah. right? Sometimes they don't hit and we end up with the same metagames. Um, but having a, like... A almost guaranteed identical meta for one to two months would be an interesting, interesting thing to run into for Marvel Snap. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but um, yeah, just sitting with the same decks. Because usually we get these sort of frequent OTAs that they at least have the potential to shake up what's going on. So um, yeah, I will say though, <clears throat> it's hard. Yeah, like you said, we're in this we're in this weird dynamic where we as the customer will definitely are you know, as customers as players tech might take the hit on this adjusted balance patch uh, cadence um, because maybe yep. it's not frequent enough. But at the same time, us as human beings are like, yes, definitely give them, <laughs> definitely yeah, give no, them a like, holiday. I would absolutely like, like specifically they should do it. It just sucks that it happens at this time. I don't want them to be working over the holidays. So obviously I hope they, you know, nerf Loki in the 12.5 patch. Oh, I hate that is uh that is my hope at the very least. Yeah. Uh, for the record, people have asked me this uh, in terms of content creators getting to see the patch notes early. Uh, I can tell you 100% that no content creator will see the patch notes this far out. I know people have asked me that. It's just like, I can tell you that is not a thing. It has never been a thing. Hypothetically speaking, if content creators were to see patch notes early, uh, it would never be this <laughs> Certainly, I can tell you that much. Yeah. All right. Well, in other news, purely uh, hypothetically speaking, they announced that they will be increasing the playtime test of cards by four weeks. They Glenn specifically said that this isn't to actually make the cards more balanced, just to figure out if they're fun and engaging to play with. Right. So they they don't expect that the addition of this time is going to help them. Or I don't know if it helped them, but he said specifically like break the meta, crack the meta. He said it's just not enough time to do that. And ultimately, this Agreed. is just to figure out if the cards are actually engaging and fun to play with for the player. Um, so just an update I, on that. I think what it should do is help cut down on overwhelmingly high misses. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it, it has become clear to me that they did not build either their Loki or their Elsa decks correctly. And once you make one mistake like that, it cascades mm -hmm. because you didn't build your Loki decks correctly. You think Elsa is OK to release and you don't realize it slots in right like that. And then you nerf Elsa. And so you're like in a world where you were playing with the other Elsa, but the cards are coming out balanced for that other Elsa world. And now you're like, oh, man, Werewolf is really, really good. I don't really understand this. I feel like maybe we need to do something about this. And then you know, you nerf Loki a little bit and then you realize, oh, wait, because we allow because we got rid of Mobius, Quinjet is now a viable card again. We reverted the collector nerf and now Loki's just the best deck again. And so you end up in this spot where the changes, the decks you were playing with in a testing group are just not the same thing that a player ended up coming up with. And I think this is where Marvel Snap could shine which is why it's so odd that they don't do anything about Loki because like their patch cadence should be built for this. And the fact that it hasn't worked so far, like it's not, 
it's not that like, oh, no, they need to be on call for fixing this over the holidays. It's that like, why wasn't it already done? Mm. I have a little bit of a story time, but um, I'm just going to tell it. So this might we might be hitting the card, uh, the bingo card for a flesh and blood story. But this one's freaking hilarious because it just it just came to multi-year there was basically there was an answer, an excuse that was given a couple of years ago at Pro Tour number one for the design of a hero. It said, oh, based on this card that was banned, that it existed in testing, it kept this hero in check. Well, full circle. We go to the World Championships here in Barcelona, and there's something called a living legend format. So the heroes that have rotated out, and these heroes rotate out based on wins, um, is now legal again. Eight of the top eight. Eight of the top eight is this hero. But the card that they said kept this in this hero in check during testing and the reason that this hero was released because it was so overwhelmingly broken and unbalanced existed in this format i'll tell you cam it didn't do anything <laughs> it didn't <laughs> do anything because the excuse was the it was so bullshit when they gave it they were like it was they printed this card that was just ridiculous like the numbers on it were insane and the hero basically dominated and it was the best deck by far and the hero ability and in flesh and blood the hero starts in play so it's just like it's persistent it's there and it made the deck really overpowered but this yeah they were saying that this card called plunder run helped keep this hero in check well finally a couple years later we we relive this format relive this hero plunder run is legal in the format and lo and behold as we all suspect it does absolutely nothing to contain this hero and it was just funny because people of course immediately <laughs> the twitter was hilarious but eight of the top eight um it was just incredible um one oh, of the speaking of twitter hold on i want to i want to branch off of this i saw some stuff that really annoyed me recently and this is this is cam's soapbox play a little intro for me you're not going to play an intro but maybe you will i, I was watching know. indiana jones on the flight but i can't remember the theme song i would have yeah just like play you can't remember the Indiana Jones theme song? I was... Da, 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 da. There it is. Da, 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 da. Yeah. All right, soapbox. <laughs> yeah, you know, really? That's crazy. All right. Uh, anyway, so my soapbox time. I People have been like, oh my God, they changed the price of this bundle from the data mine, the, the Fiona Shea Bast bundle. Mm. And I just want to say, if you're someone who is on the internet... Like, I don't know a better way to describe it other than to say rabble rousing over the fact that a data mine is not the same as the official thing. Like, I just I never fucking want to see it again. I never I don't I, I never in a million million fucking years want to see someone be like, I can't believe they changed this from the data mine. How could they betray us like this when every single time? Every single time, not one time has Second Dinner said, yeah, data mines are totally real and you can actually trust them 100%. Every single time anyone asks, they say, data mine content is not final and is subject to change at any time. Every single fucking time. And people always assume it's like for dumb fucking reasons, too. It's like, oh, why did they, why did they, oh, I, why did they change the price of this bundle? I don't know. But you also don't know that they did it right then because the way data mines work is they look in the client and they see what's planned and you don't and people always assume the reason for the changes, right? They assume the reason for the changes like immediate, right? Which is what I mean by that is people look at changes from something from data mined to live and they assume it is about doing something specific. They assume it is like a reaction to something rather than just like, okay. So my deadline for changing these numbers is the uh, 23rd. I gotcha. I'll change them on the 23rd, right? Like 
if I were someone who was changing something from data mine to live, I would do it at the latest possible moment because I'm a normal worker, right? Like if I, I, I love submitting things right at the deadline. Why would I submit it early? And I, I feel like a lot of people just read that stuff and they're like, oh my God, they made a last minute change to screw us over. And it's like, when else would they make that change? What I don't understand. It also it when also just would it also that just change ever be made. Fundamentally, doesn't screw you over. It's just the price of the product on release. Like it doesn't. Yeah, like not, like the, the, for this one, it was it was a bundle right, yeah. a bundle that was five dollars went to twenty dollars and had more than like it forexed in price and more than forexed. I think in terms of contents. Yes, they just, uh, they just changed it <laughs> and. Like it ended up being a great buy for anyone willing to drop $20. And I think I think the thing is, like, there's a lot of people who are not willing to drop $20. And like what's actually happening there is not people that are like. Oh, my God, you've betrayed me second dinner. You this we this was data mined and you told me I could trust data mines. I think I think what's actually happening is people are just like, damn, I really wanted that variant for five dollars. I don't want it for twenty dollars. Yep. And whenever whenever people are in that situation, they tend to do a thing where it's like. Oh, you know, you would have made so much more money if you sold this for the price point I would have bought it at. And that is one of my least favorite things to see on the Internet. And so this mixed mixed up two things. One is like people being purposefully obtuse about what data mines are. And the second is uh, people like projecting their situation outwards onto everyone. And so like that's this confluence of I swear to God, I swear to God, the next time I, I I just need everyone who makes like, I don't even know the right way to say it, like makes this sort of content where they get mad about data mines or whatever. I, I just, just wait, please, you say makes this sort of stop. content. You talk, you said Twitter. Are you talking about people tweeting about it or people make videos about it? I'm talking about content creators. Okay. Yeah. That's oh, okay. Tweeting. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like, like there's like, like we're talking about like mostly like there's like a certain, I don't know exactly the right way to phrase it. There's a certain genre of Marvel Snap content creator who is less gameplay content and more economy focused. Uh, guys that like rate bundles and yeah. things like that. N- news, guys right? that look like, very far. It's, yeah, a, it's like, like a news, YouTube yeah, archetype. Like, it's like news yes, and news, there's a certain news information. Archetype. Yeah. Yes, there's a certain archetype. And that archetype of player or archetype of creator seems to be the group that is most upset about this. Where it's just like, I counted on this and then they 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 pulled the rug out from under me. And it's like, no, what you do fundamentally is give advice based on data mines, and there's no guarantee that those are going to be the same thing. And I just think that like there's a line after which you don't really get to say stuff like second dinner pulled the rug out from under you. You just don't get to be mad about a data mining being different than the actual bundle. You don't get to be mad about that. It's like an insane thing to be mad about. Like, oh, I I expected High Evo to release at 4.7 and it released at 4.4, and that's bad for some reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, it's, it, stop. Yeah, I honestly just don't take YouTubers too seriously, and that that also includes us. To be honest, like if people don't know about it, I, like if people ever complain about like it's actually never happened with the same snapshot. If you see like a thumbnail is clickbait and you complain, people got to realize that like the YouTube algo is like it's terrible. Yo, it, it incentivizes the most. If no one's behavior. complaining about our thumbnails, do we need a new thumbnail guy? You're on notice. <laughs> yeah. If you're if our thumbnails aren't clickbaiting enough to get people complaining about it, that means we're not getting enough clicks. If they don't have absolutely nothing to do with what's talked about in the video, they're unusable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad about the players betrayed one. 
Players. That was such a sick thumbnail where we, we, we had one that was like players betrayed for the Mobius. And then as soon as we released that episode, they they renounced they were reverting Mobius. And so there goes all our players betrayed. That was actually upon processing, by the way. It wasn't even it wasn't even it was in sick. editing. It wasn't up. It was in processing. You clicked up. You clicked go live and it was not processing. And it was like, oh, by the way, <laughs> I was like, great. <laughs> all right. Players, players not betrayed. The next thumbnail, the next thumbnail, by the way, is player faith restored. So, <laughs> <laughs> yo, wait, we should have done like a Dark Souls thing. Player faith restored. That would have been sick. Yeah, but for people who don't understand, the reason why YouTubers and YouTube is so generous is because, like, that's just, I mean, that's just how it works. The, the idea, like, the ethos, like, the ethical ethos behind YouTubing is like, um, at least from my perspective, is like, it, 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 you sort of followed the herd, I guess, and sort of like what you do for thumbnails and titles, but then you just hope that what's underneath the surface, like your content is actually enjoyable and valuable to people. Some people don't, some people that's not their strategy, but that's the idea is like you still go with the degenerate clickbait thumbnails and, and titles, but you just, you hope you put a little bit of substance under it and then you become an ethical Is that what YouTuber. I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> no. <laughs> substance on there? Yeah. I'm like good content? What are you talking about? <laughs> yes. All right. Now, last update here is that the, our last news update on series drops coming by the end of the year, they say. So we'll just hold our breath on that because we spoke about that topic ad nauseum at this point. Anyway, I, I honestly feel bad about how I guess I don't even know if the word, right word is angry for how I was in our last podcast. I was just like, why is it like this? Like it was very it was very. Uh, I think someone being nice to me would be like speaking truth to power. But I just feel like the headspace I was in was a very not necessarily dark one, but like maybe a little overly negative. Honestly, I don't know. Mm, yeah, it's, I don't know if it's overly negative. It's just like maybe it's such a negative situation that talking about it accurately feels like it's overly negative. It's interesting. Um, like it's just a it's a it's a weird topic to talk about, and also in the context of like how overbearing the topic becomes in like a podcast when really the only reason we have the conversation is because the, we think it's like the best card games ever made, and it's just like yeah, it's it, it it does become tiring both I think on the listener side and on like the host side. Like it's tiring for us too. It's like okay, week four it's like these still these fucking series drops. It's like <laughs> what? Uh, it's, I don't know. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, Think for yourself. I love talking about yeah. that. Let's head into the bend and snap here. By the way, we had so many questions this week. I literally could not get all to all of them. So I just want to thank everybody who engaged with the video. And if you want to get your comment read out on next week's pod, shoot us a come on YouTube. We'll get it queued up. First one here is comes from Chris Steele. They say, Agatha has a high win rate because people don't care at the bottom of infinite. We test decks, play casual, snap, and stay when we shouldn't. And there are a lot, and you said it, a capitalized lot, of Agatha decks down here. I typically play at 100k plus rank, so the numbers may be real. They just aren't playing infinite ladder climb. So our theory was, is like, are these bots? Are these, are these like yeah. bots that are farming accounts? Like, what's going on here? So maybe, but maybe. People actually enjoy playing Agatha. So the thing about me, the That's thing that trips me up is that there's, there's two assumptions here, right? One that you people play cat. Well, not assumptions, but two things happening. One, people play casual decks and don't care about winning at very low, you know, 100k plus infinite. And two, that those people also enjoy playing Agatha decks. And the second one well, is surprising to me. <laughs> I think there's a third one, which is that even if you're doing that, you're losing to Agatha decks somehow. <laughs> like that's the other one. Like what? How casual do you have to get? But yeah, I, I, that 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 makes sense to me. Hundred K Infinite definitely sounds like a completely different game. Yeah, 
Yeah, and well, speaking of completely different game, the next uh, the next one comes from Neon X2. They say, I'm not sure Cam's take on the meta is entirely fair. I do agree with the notion that we just went from an Elsa shell and everything to a wolf shell and everything, but the meta is pretty diverse at other levels that aren't top 100. Not to mention there are a lot of players in that bracket that use decks that, uh, that aren't the ones mentioned. So I will say before I pass over to Cam, the Neon, um, you are correct. You are correct in most, pretty much every way, but I will say... That from our perspective, or specifically from the perspective of KM, he is just realize, real, uh, relaying his game experience, which unfortunately is not down at those ranks. So that is like the the meta that you are relaying is the meta that you are experiencing. But what Neon says I is think that... It, yeah, I think there's a thing that shows up in a bunch of different card games where someone is like, oh, you're in a bubble, right? Oh, you're in a top infinite bubble. And I think what people should understand is uh, if you're going to like get granular enough to say that everyone's in a bubble what are you talking about right like wherever you are is where you are and the surrounding players that you play are your bubble no matter what when you're in rank 40 you're in a bubble when you're in rank when you're in like top 40 you're in a bubble right and so i think people that discount those experiences because it's like oh you're in a bubble right which bubble if, if we assume that everyone is in a bubble, which bubble do we think is going to be more accurately reflective of how strong things actually are? Mm. The bubble where people are trying to win or the bubble where they're not. And I think that's that's like this because like right now in Hearthstone, I don't really know the details, but it shows up on my Twitter feed. Sometimes there's like a bunch of people saying that like high infinite high legend players are in a bubble. They don't know what they're talking about. This card, whatever card it is, some snake thing, I think. Oh, I've seen is that like, card. It's ridiculous. Is like OP as as hell and needs like a bigger nerf than like the the high end players are suggesting. And it's like, okay, there are two things going on there. The first is, it is correct that they should balance for the wide range of players rather than just the high infinite ones. But it is also, or the high legend ones. It is also correct that generally speaking, I would trust the impressions of a high legend player in terms of what needs to be done to balance a card because they are more actually able to be in tune with why a card is strong than someone else who is not really assessing it on that level. I'm not saying they're always going to be right. What I'm saying is like they're the ones playing in the environment that is most likely to give you the correct data. Everyone's in a bubble from uh, from wherever you are on ladder no matter what you are in a bubble that's how that works your experience is not universal under any circumstances but if we accept that everyone's in a bubble i do think that it says something about the top end of where decks are being played to their highest capacity that should be listened to mm. that's all i'm saying like what what is more likely to give you accurate data the place where everyone is playing agatha or the place where people are trying to win what is more what is more likely to tell you a real story about what the problems in the metagame? And I, I think the answer there is obvious. I think one meta has the one meta has the opportunity opportunity to percolate to the other while the other doesn't, right? So the the, yes. the the lower meta will not come up to the top or the top over time and with information being transferred and players maybe trying to uh, optimize a bit more, like they could adopt that top meta. Um, depending on the conditions. That being said, like <clears throat> top end players or top end ladders like this bubble, it can get degenerate as well. Like 
the there can be this hyper hyper optimized and tuning of decks that happens to just target a very specific meta, maybe at the very top end of ladder, and that's not representative of the larger sample size because players just play against each other. So maybe they're playing like tech cards that you would never add in because you're facing ten decks, they're facing one, right? So their deck list can be tuned for that. But I think yep. the macro of it is that those decks, for the most part, are objectively the more powerful decks in the metagame. And that they generally speaking, that is what I would default to. Again, we're talking generalities here, right? Like it's not like it's going to be true in every specific case. You don't need to listen to me in every single case. Just like more of the time, if you accept that every matchmaking level is a bubble because they all are, because that's what MMR is, right? Like you're only going to be playing people around your MMR. And that is by definition a bubble then you want to look very closely at the top end of it. Mm-hmm. All right, the next one comes from Just uh, Kajeld. They say, hey guys, listening from the first episode, love your content, keep it up. Really love the references to other games, although it gets out of hand sometimes. Makes me interested in watching what they are about to question. Really loved the videos with guests. When are we doing more of those? It switches up the dynamic. Thank you for the content. Keep coming. So... so- I feel like I don't know when I can recycle guests. Like, I just don't, I just don't know. I think it depends, right? Uh, it depends on the guests. So what's, what I like about the Snapshot guest episodes is that, in general, they're not interviews. Interviews are not recyclable. Interviews are sort of a one-time thing. and then. But generally, we get people to come on, and they just become a part of the topic, right? They're just a different perspective. Yeah. So I think because of that, they can be recycled relatively frequently also people that are specialists in specific decks so you think about molt and move lambie and thanos or honestly lambie in any deck at this point because he's in rank one <laughs> i mean let's be honest it's lambie and thanos and then lambie and loki yeah like he, he's he's a degenerate best deck player yes and yeah and it's working out for him so those that de- i mean those people are very recyclable right because as that deck comes back to the metagame you revisit principles uh sort of key key things to keep in mind winning etc so i mean to answer your question, Cam, I think it's pretty often uh, to answer. Okay. Because like, there's a bunch of people I'd love to bring on again, but I just don't know if I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. No, I think we're allowed to. I think uh, the guest thing. So the thing about guests and the reason why it doesn't happen as often is it, it's just logistically. I mean, it's actually infinitely harder to coordinate. That doesn't mean it's impossible to coordinate. It's just, it is just much much harder than me and cam i'm 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 pretty tough to coordinate myself do you know how often like i feel like we recorded it seven different times on well this day. i mean i woke up to I, this I, message was like came with him was like hey we could do 11 he doesn't say am or pm by the way uh and then he goes or we could do it when i'm drunk and i'm like <laughs> that was not an actual offer that was not an actual offer that was like a that was like a look i'm yeah, normally we can record after my stream but stream today is going to be a sponsored drinking stream. Ergo, unless you want to record with me after a sponsored drinking stream, we have to do one of those. How close do you think I was to taking that side of the offer? I don't think you were ever going to take it. I was really close, actually. Really? I was just the only thing. I mean, the 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 Indiana Jones into the soap into the soapbox might have been a bit extended if we had been under those conditions. But you think it would have been enough? You think it wouldn't have been different? No, I mean, I think it would have, I don't know, may, may have been some more. You thought it would have been good content. You were like, let's farm this. I was just, I was like, ah, maybe, maybe it'll be fine. You know, also, I thought that the, I thought 11 a.m. was going to be p.m. because uh, Cam's, nah, no. Cam's not, generally not an early bird, I don't think. 
I don't like being awake early. I don't like being awake now, but recording now means I can go take a nap. Yeah, true. So we'll work on it. We'll work on it. We'll probably get some of our old guests on. Um, and yeah, I, I like the, I like, I like switching to dynamic too. It's nice. So thanks for the question. Next one here is this underscore YouTube. They say our feature location is bad for the game. I watch a few streamers on the weekend and they're tired of playing the ladder because of feature tired of playing ladder because of feature locations. Do you think they should rework the post infinite system being 2000 stat points from the top discourages me from wanting to climb since it's impossible unless I treat it like a job. So there's two questions here. I shouldn't realize. Yeah. Okay. Over to you. Do you want to take either of them? I'll take none of them. Okay. Uh, question number one. Do you think they should rework featured locations? Yeah, they suck. I hate them. Uh, question number two. Uh, the uh, hold on. Uh, let, let's talk about question one for like five more seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, the featured location Sunday is eternity range. And I am fine with that because it means there's nothing that I really have to change. And that is really the issue. Why am I the most fine with featured locations when they are doing the least impact? As soon as they have any impact on deck building, I'm just like, oh, I hate this so much. Get out of here. Get out of here. I hate featured locations. I understand the philosophy. So, I understand the ideology, though. Like, I know that they're sitting. I get they're where they're coming yeah. from. I just don't like it. Yeah. It's a valid it's thing okay. to do. It's I just don't like it's it. It's okay to have an opinion, right? That. Oh my god, I gotta do a Flesh and Blood reference again. Anyway, Magic had the same thing. Wow, a Flesh and Blood reference? I've never heard that. Pro Tours are both, they're tool format. They're, class, they're constructed and they're draft. The whole thing is that the, the ethos is that the best player, the most well-rounded player becomes the champion. Sure. My opinion, though, I fucking hate split format, dual format tournaments. It sucks. Everybody dreads the draft rounds. It's reflected in the stream. It's literally reflected everywhere. It's a very, very small minority of people that actually enjoy that, and most people hate it. And that's just my opinion. So I'm also with you on featured locations. I understand the deck building thing for players that like to deck build. Featured locations can be interesting. You can get ahead of the metagame for the first person to sort of break a location, I guess. Um, but I think a lot of us, it just feels like a burden. And you're just like, ah, I guess I'm not playing today. Yep. Over to you. Uh, second part of that question, though was do you think you should rework the infinite system 2000 ranks behind i think that you can very easily overcome that 2000 sp difference are we talking sp or ranks actually snap points based on the question snap points okay so that's just the kind of thing you'll have to work on over time yeah, I understand you can't play it like a job, but you did get to infinite. And so you played enough to get to infinite. And then you can simply do that same amount of playing in infinite and let the system figure it out. Because as long as you're going upwards, even with the resets, you should be fine. Mm -hmm. That said, I don't love the system. I do think it requires too much playing right now. There's not enough volatility in the rankings. Mm -hmm. Yep. Makes sense. All right, next one is Demo Evolved Gaming. They say, of the audience that is mobile gamers, they have a fixed amount of time and attention to play. When big new games come out, some mobile gamers will gravitate to it in lieu of their current game. Warcraft Rumble just came out. Some, some Marvel Snap players left. So the reason I brought this question up, Kim, is I wanted to inquire and get an update on your Warcraft Rumble journey. Yeah, I stopped playing. Okay, good. <laughs> Are you happy that you were able to delete the, the currency from your bank account while you're playing that game? I didn't delete that much currency from my bank account. It was fun. I might play a little bit more. I don't know. I just like I didn't. I just bounced off. It was just like I played. I played. I, I spent a little money. It was fun. We're moving. 
And then it was like, oh, the only content left in this game is heroics and PvP. And it's like, ah, I don't I'm not super into it. Yeah. Like, okay, like the heroics, what it is, I'll tell you what did it to me. I was getting this consistent dopamine of finish a level, get gold. But with heroics, I have to do it with all five. And it's like there's so much between that consistent dopamine between me and that dopamine that it just doesn't feel like it's worth opening the game and playing for 15 minutes because I'll open the game and play like two of them. And it's like, ah, no, I need I need that dopamine now. Give me the dopamine now. That'll make me that'll keep me playing. Maybe maybe I'm not a mobile gamer, but I will say I I played Warcraft Rumble for a little bit and also bounced off the concept of it's like, okay, hey, in order to progress, you just hop on your phone and do these tasks every day is it's like a it's like one of dante's levels of hell for me i can't imagine anything worse than like homework on a video game to like and the tasks and the daily quests i know marvel snap has it too i know (laughs) but it just exhausts me it feels like a burden to play this game sometimes i know that this is like the hook that gets people in on mobile games like this little thing marvel snap has so much dopamine daily but marvel snap also is actually it's a card game, six right? Six quests. Yeah, it's also like an actual, yeah. yeah it's yeah. an actual game, right? It's not a... It's pon- a really it's, good game. It's not a ponzi yeah. sort of currency extractor, which is what Warcraft... Well, Reddit may argue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so both of us, I think we're off the Warcraft Rumble journey, which is what... I might play it again soon. I, I, I've been feeling like I need another like just time killer game, but who knows? Yeah. All right. Next one, Adam. They said light slash easier question for Cam with his channel growing pretty steadily. How long does it take to read all the comments and how much longer would it take if he liked every comment like he used to? Uh, so reading all the comments is something that happens over time. I am fairly weird about my YouTube videos. So what will happen is like as it goes up, I'll check like what it's like after an hour. And then there's a button on YouTube that takes me to the comments and then I read all the comments and then I'll check what it's like after like a different amount of time. And then I'll see the comments that have been added since then. And I'll just go through them. Would it take longer? So like when I say I read all the comments, it's just something that happens in the course of me doing the thing. As far as going through and liking them, it wouldn't necessarily add too much time. It's just like a bit of an unnecessary uh thing for me to do does that make sense mm-hmm. also i learned right around the time that i stopped doing them that it sent people emails every time i did it you'd get an email from youtube like km best liked your comment uh, that that definitely made me want to stop doing it <laughs> that definitely made me want to stop doing it for sure mm-hmm. uh I, but I, honestly i don't actually think comments comments aren't all that overly uh, what's the word Comments aren't all that overly overwhelming, I would say. Like, it's it's like, you know, somewhere between 60 to 150, usually. Mm. It's not that bad. Yeah, it, it really. Yeah, it really isn't. I know I get emails as well, Cam. So I have my email attached to one of my channels and uh, it sends me comments sometimes. And this channel mm. is uh, three years old, so I rarely get negative comments. But uh so well, I remember the other day I opened my email. I was like, oh, what's this? And I was like, it was just the most cooked comment I've ever <laughs> read in my life. It was just fucking weird. No, no, no. I'm not saying I get comments on the email. I, I, what I have, it turns out, though, every time I like a comment, mm-hmm. the person who left it gets an email. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, that sucks. I just wanted to relay my experience with YouTube comment emails because uh, it, was, uh, uh, it was a nice start to my day. 
was some dumbass. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was just being very, very mean. I was like, great. My favorite thing is like, like I'll get a bunch of comments, and like there'll be one where it's like, like this is a comment I get on every video. Uh, you take like the two cards in every deck that are series five, and then you go, oh, of course it has these deck in it. Of mm. course it has these cards in it. Of course it's playing Nico and Werewolf. Of course it's playing Iron Lad and Elias. Of course it's playing Jeff. Of course it's playing Miss Marvel. Pay to win. Like it, every possible card that anyone has ever spent money on, I get a comment that's like, oh, of course it's playing this. Of course it's a Darkhawk deck. Of course. Like I, I get it. And it's like, I, I, there's not a deck I can make that people will not give me that comment on. It has to be like all series three or I'll get that comment. It happens mm. every time. All right. The last one here is from Perplatypus. They say, not sure <clears throat> if you guys are second dinner have spoken about it. Uh, mm. But now that we're over a year into the game, I'm curious how you think Snap will handle rotation um, or if it will have a rotation. The monetization seems seems at odds. I think they said ads, but I think they must say at odds with the rotation system while at the same time power creep and buffs so that any type of power set I feel like severely limits the design space and leads to a Yu-Gi-Oh like power levels where the game is not recognizable okay, after Okay, let's be real. It does not lead to that. Well, yeah. Oh my god. People, the bingo players are going to be losing their mind or if you're drinking to this podcast with the bingo sheet, you're going to die because Flesh and Blood is also known rotating format. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's shit. Uh, they should rotate. <laughs> they should rotate. No, I, mean, I, don't I don't think, think with Marvel like... Snap though because Marvel Snap is, it's, well, it's, I don't know. They, they, can, they can design cards outside of quantitative uh, power, right? And they can also tweak levels yeah. based off quantitative power. So they can always like, I think that they feel like almost at any time in the game, they can reasonably nerf a card into like A minus tier by just changing yeah, the number. I think that generally speaking in most card games you have the choice of either rotating or power creep in order to make new cards release matter right mm -hmm. so you have those are really it's kind of like a binary choice but in marvel snap you can use the constant otas as a source of pseudo rotation which is you can keep the power level within a certain boundary while still releasing new cards that are exciting and i think the risk of that though is that you end up in the mobius situation where it's like all right we were keeping the power within a certain boundary but one of our new cards broke it and now we mm -hmm. need to do something about that and doing something about that constitutes like a betrayal of the consumer uh <laughs> betrayal yeah i mean uh, yeah, yeah who it's, would it's say very that? over dramatic <laughs> it's very over dramatic right but like it constitutes something that you don't want to do right and so i think that that is the path that they have chosen. So I don't think it necessarily needs to be a rotation. I'm interested to see how long they can keep the balancing act up because I think that it is, first of all, balancing act, phenomenal name for the segment because get it like they're doing a balancing act with balance. Very, uh, very good there. Second of all, like, I don't know how long they can keep it up. I think that it is a uh, tight rope that they have to walk. And whenever they whiff, it ends up causing these ripple effects further down. Previous whiffs, like not nerfing Shuri when they nerfed Thanos, or every patch where they haven't nerfed Loki, things mm. like that. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about, so we talk about nerfing numbers up and down. You spoke about Mobius. I mean, Loki as well. I mean, Loki is the philosophical imperative of play you have to play yeah it it's like loki loki's just this such a weird thing because it's like it's probably not even that good i think it's being underplayed right now because everyone's sick of it mm. and it's like it's probably not as good as people think it is i do think it's the best deck but it's not like the best deck by a million years right so it's like 
Yeah, it's hard to figure out a reason to ever play anything else, though. That's the fundamental thing. Like, unless you're thinking, I just want to play non-Loki, it's hard to ever be like, yeah, I'm going to play something totally different. If you're looking to have fun, you know, there's always the against the decks. Um, yeah, I think you're right about pseudo rotation, by the way. And I think that that's their vision for the game is they pseudo rotate cards via nerfing them. Um, yeah, not nerfing them to unplayability, but taking them down a peg when maybe they were in a fine spot, like they were just very played in the metagame and just nerfing them so that something else has room to come back into the game. And I think it's, it's like you said, it's a tight rope. It's a lot to manage, but so far, or at least in the past, it's felt decently elegant where the metagame has rotated with these like plus one, minus one buffs. I remember when like Doom got that hit and Doom kind of fell out of the metagame for a little bit. Um, I, I like it right now. I mean, Marvel Snap, in terms of a card game, we're I mean, we're really spoiled. <laughs> the fact that this the, yeah. that the meta rotates as much as it does is insane because in other card games, it's like months and months and months of just like, holy shit. <laughs> You're playing like yeah. the actual same matchup and there's cards that's obscenely broken. If it's a paper card game, it's you're stuck with it. And you, the only way out of that is with an errata, which is even worse. All right, and before we close out the show, let's talk about a decklist here and a nihilist decklist. This is one that you posted. Mm. Um, it's the Hood, Korg, Black Widow, Zabu, Shadow King, Rockslide, Darkhawk, Iron Lad, Sentry, Annihilist, Alioth, America Chavez. Just talk to me a little bit about this decklist, where it's positioned in the metagame, and some key tips on how to play it. It keeps winning, and I keep feeling like it shouldn't. Whenever I play this, I'm just like, how am I not losing every game to Loki? And then you just like win them. And it's like, I don't really know how that happened. And my best guess as for why that keeps happening is like this deck. It influences luck with the rocks that you play with the Black Widow that you play. You end up coming out of a lot of games feeling like, damn, I got really lucky. They didn't have their stuff there. But that's what your deck is doing, right? Like you're playing a deck that is specifically built on making sure they didn't have their stuff. And so it feels like you're getting away with something when you play a deck like this. Like, you're just like, oh, how did I get away with this? Like, if they low-keyed me, I was dead at any time. They just didn't draw Loki. And it's like, well, yeah, of course they didn't draw Loki. They got Black Widowed and drew a rock. <laughs> it's like, okay. But, like, you don't get to count on that, though. So there's, like, a bunch of a bunch of weird things going on with this deck where you get a lot of these free wins for the low cubes because you don't know that your opponent is not going to Loki you on five, and then it's turn six and you don't want to boomer snap them. 
And it's like, okay, if they Loki me on five and get my Nihilus, I'm like super, super dead with the lines that I've chosen. But what if they don't have the Loki on five? And you just have to play like that. It's a little bit of an interesting situation, honestly, because the deck drags your opponent down, but you don't know exactly how much it's mm. actually impacting them because you can't see the rocks in their hand or the lack of rocks. In their hand. How do you feel about the mirror? I saw you post earlier about the mirror. I'm obviously talked about on this podcast already. Is it something you're running into frequently? Is it a problem? Like, do you need to tweak the deck at all for to consider no. the mirror? I, 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 I'm again like continually surprised. Like, you look at this deck and you're just like, I don't get it. Like, how is this like? Like, it just looks so mid. <laughs> and I just keep winning. I've got no real explanation. It just keeps working. Like, I, I, I just a bunch of good cards and good cards do good card things. I'll tell you, I have not one time. Uh, iron ladded into a, a century yet. So mm. maybe I'm just getting lucky. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, but like, I think do. this deck, it does, a, it does a couple things pretty well. The first is set up for Eliath, right? Like, you have like your, your curve that's like Zabu into like Sentry, Darkhawk, uh, like Zabu, Sentry, Darkhawk, or like Zabu, Sentry, Iron Lad into a Nihilus Eliath or something like that. And the second is like you do you do some sort of turn six Annihilus plus the demon from the hood. And both of those are extremely powerful turn sixes. But at, one thing I've noticed is players are getting a lot better at blocking that that second turn six by just mm. filling up the lane. And so you end up in these different situations where you want to uh, pick a different plan based on the, the situation that you're in in the game. Mm. All right. Makes sense. I mean, it's cool to see. Um, seeing Nihilus sort of make a wave in the metagame, maybe not the overwhelmingly overpowered and dominant card <laughs> that we have had in the past that people have been snatched buying, but I mean, an interesting way to play the game that is competitive okay. at the highest level, so probably a thumbs up on this this release for us. And next week, by the way, Cam, it's, it's the best week of the month because we get to do predictions for uh, the following month's cards and i'm super excited awesome. for that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a little little teaser though this time and just talk about the season pass card which is sebastian shaw three three when this and it says when this card permanently gains power gain a plus two power wherever this is what do you think how often do we think this is better than a werewolf when this card permanently gains power permanently so buffed Give it plus two more power. Um, so you like so what what's what's our like our floor value on werewolf, you think? Is it three? Oh, because it, like the interest the, the key text with this guy is wherever it is, right? Like if this guy gets an Okoye buff in the deck. Or a knock uh if this guy gets a Nakia buff in your hand. Yeah. It make it makes him like a more playable card if you draw him late than werewolf is mm. because like the obvious comparison you want to make with a card like this is like oh it's a guy that gets plus two for doing stuff that's good already so let the, the werewolf comp is there but i think the stuff that werewolf is good with is much better than the stuff that sebastian shaw is good with and so i'm not exactly sure how to evaluate him i feel like he's going to be significantly weaker than werewolf but if it turns out that like a Koye Nakia stuff is actually just quite solid. This could be a really good card. When do we bring back like uh, Sarah and, and Surfer and this three cost stuff? Is it just never coming back because of the Mobius 
design? I think there's a playable Sarah Surfer deck right now. Mm. I just don't think that it involves Nokia. Yeah, yeah. Probably, <laughs> it probably involves Nokia. Like, yeah. That's the issue, right? Because you want it, if you're doing Sebastian Shaw, you want it to involve Nokia. You want it to involve Okoye. Mm. And Silver Surfer itself would be plus four on it instead of plus two. And so it's like, that's interesting. It's certainly compelling. Uh, and you can even play Mobius for the mirror if you want. Yeah. I'm just trying to think about floors, right? Where, like, if this guy gets buffed at all, he's already a 3-5+, plus, which is a decent stat line. I guess it's less decent in the context of, like, Werewolf existing now, but it seems like a good playable card. Like, I think it will make a... It, it will impact the metagame. It's not Loki, where it's not archetype-defining, but it seems like it could be strong. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. So maybe this is, like, the, the Destiny of Season Pass cards, is we have these sort of, uh, you know... Thumbs uppers. <laughs> not just like, I think I think the context is going to define this one. Yeah, if sure. there is a good like Okoye Nakia deck, and that ends up being powerful, and there's enough interaction to back up the power of this guy, then I'm kind of interested. I do worry about you know the existence of Shadow King though, because Shadow King right now is probably the best removal spell in the game, and this is a deck that really looks like it's going to die to Shadow King. Definitely, and I love me some Shadow King. To be honest, so well, I mean, we'll see, we'll see on that one. Um, not nothing close to like the Elsa or Loki, probably at this point. Um, Honestly, I think Shadow King's the only thing keeping like when I talk about how Loki isn't the best deck by a mile. A lot of that is because Shadow King exists. It would be the best deck by a mile if they did anything to Shadow King. Mm. Do you think Shadow King would be, still be unplayable to three three stat line, or do you think it would be? Yeah, playable? I I thought I've been thinking about this a lot. Something I say often is costing two is a superpower. And mm -hmm. I, I was thinking about this, like, why exactly is that true? Why is it that costing two is so much better than costing three? And here, here's the answer. Uh, four cost cards are the ones that actually can win lanes. You can win lanes off a four cost card. You mostly can't win lanes off a three cost card unless that three cost card is werewolf. But four cost cards are the ones that can actually win lanes. So part of why Zabu is so good is it lets you play two of them, right? And part of why two costs are so good is it lets you play the four cost card that can actually win a lane plus your two cost tech card. Mm. And that is, I think, part of why I think of two costs as a superpower. It's also like if you discount a two cost, it's better than any other kind of discount that you can possibly get. Right. It's a 50 percent discount off a of Sarah. Yeah. 50 percent discount off a of Loki. And I think that that is another reason why it's kind of a superpower, but mostly it's that you can pair a four with a two. And if that two can also win a lane, you can play two lane winning cards. Final turn of the game, Shadow King and Darkhawk as an example of how this tends to go in a lot of the Darkhawk lists like that is really, 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 really strong. Costing two is so much better than costing. I like that. I didn't think about it like that. And I what you said was very wisdomous. Like uh, that hit home with me. Like that's a uh, that's a good way of explaining. I, I thought about it for a while. I was like, why do I say this all the time? Because like, I something I accept is true, but I've never really examined the reasons why that is. And I think it's I think it's because of the pairings with four for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the three cost slot also just has a lot of bloat. You know, like it's a very competitive slot as well right now, um, where two cost is a bit more open. And like I mean, two. I'm, like you said, the 50% discount, the pairings with the four costs that can actually win lanes. I mean, that's probably what's really holding it. But that's an interesting way to think about the game. I just hadn't, I hadn't really approached it from that perspective. Um, anyway. All right. 
Thank you. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. I want to say, if you listen to this podcast, you enjoy it, the number one thing you can do is leave us a review. You can do it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or Spotify. It helps us so, 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 so much. Uh, there's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit that subscribe while you're there. We're on Twitter, Brendan APG, Cam, SMS. Cam is streaming in the evenings, I, I assume. Am. It's in the evenings. Correct. Yep. So no change there. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.